Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Nothing different or weird today, folks. It's reverse chronological lightning round Monday on Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I'm getting better at it every day, getting a little bit closer. It took me forever to master the uh, the Roto World switchover, and I'm not even I don't even work for that company. This one I got to get it right quick. No wiggle room. Sportsethos.com at Ethos Fantasy BK. Follow the basketball fantasy feed. We'll be likely having other sports as well here in the not too distant future. Kind of an exciting little pivot for a website that's been basketball for. Uh, since its inception, some five years ago, thereabouts. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Dan Bespris. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. That's pretty easy, isn't it? D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Dan Bespris. On Twitter. We got a new partner. Two of them, actually, on today's show. We'll be telling about those uh, at some point during the show, when you least expect it. I don't know. You might actually expect it partway through. But regardless, very excited to welcome Thrive Fantasy and ExpressVPN back to the hoop ball. Ah, I did it. The Sports Ethos family. Actually, some of the uh, <laughs> some of the promo codes still for the old website name. Shout out to Thrive Fantasy for getting the new promo code right. That one actually is related to Sports Ethos. But let's start... With Sunday, this is the way things work on Reverse Chronological Lightning Round Monday. We start on Sunday. We work our way backwards through the weekend until we've hit each of the 30 teams' most recent basketball game. It's a reset button podcast. We do it pretty much every Monday when the season is in swing. This is not a day of the week where we like to get fancy and creative with what we're doing on the show because this is actually a really important weekly tradition to make sure we all know what's going on. Utah beat Cleveland 109-108, tight ball game. We actually won a bet on Cleveland in that. They were catching five and a half, six points at home to the favored Jazz. Cavs been playing good ball, and Cleveland even looked good in a loss in this one. Jared Allen, in particular, has been absolutely incredible this year. He's number 31 in 9-cat on a per-game basis, averaging 17-11 and 11 with a steal and 1.2 blocks on a league-best field goal percent uh the number itself doesn't necessarily have to be the league best you talk about qualifying players whatever rudy gobert is actually shooting a higher percentage than Jarrett. but allen's taking 10 shots and rudy's taking 7.3 Jarrett allen is basically by himself in that top spot for weighted field goal percent activity how much it matters to a fantasy team right now he's carrying you and this was actually a bad game because you know he was dealing with rudy gobert on the other side who had 20 boards and five blocks Oh, Rudy. Oh, Rudy. Yeah, how did we become the Rudy Gobert guy? Well, feel okay about that. Hadn't missed a game. He's number 16 himself. From a fantasy standpoint, there wasn't a whole lot to learn from this ball game. Ricky Rubio finally had a better shooting game. He's been ice cold for about three weeks and basically unusable. I'm not adjusting my expectations on any of the other names, really, on the Cavs side. We haven't adjusted anything on the Jazz side, so we pretty much just ignore them for now. But uh, Darius Garland, obviously nothing but runway with Colin Sexton out for the year. Just ride that one out. Mobley's been great. Allen's been great. 
Markkinen has generally been pretty good. He had kind of a down ball game here, but you're not too too worried about that. He still got his 35 minutes in. I think the the names of note would be Rubio, who played 31 minutes off the bench, but hasn't really been orchestrating the way you'd want. He has five, six assists. Those are coming through, but the, the big ones that he started the year with, the eight, nine, ten assist ball games, those have pretty much tapered off now. The Cavs move the ball relatively well. Garland's been at the, the forefront of that, but even when he's off the floor, it's kind of a team effort. And Rubio is, he is the second in command on that particular node. Um, the, the problem, of course, is that if he's not getting seven or eight assists and he's not piling up steals when he goes through those really rough shooting stretches, which are going to happen with Rubio because he's not a good shooter, it's crushing. I mean, he was outside the top 200 during that cold spell. And so overall in the year, he fell from like a top 80 to about top 130 over that stretch. Pretty rough. I do still think he deserves to be rostered head to head. You just start him every game and you take the good with the bad. Roto, maybe now you can open him back up again a little bit if this was the start of him shooting better for a week or two. We can dream. And then the other name I wanted to mention was Kevin Love, who had a down ball game as well. He's actually been in that 120-130 range in only about 20 minutes of ball game, which is kind of surprising. He's not going to get more minutes than this unless a bunch of guys go down again. Uh, But it does seem like he has a pretty locked-in streamer-level role Put him in your streamer bucket, and that's it. Washington, coming back to earth. Much better at home than on the road, so uh, worth noting certainly that this was a road game for them, and the Wizards happen to be one of those teams that's scuffling when they're not at their own arena. They're 6-7 and seven on the road, 8-3 and three at home. Big difference there. Five games over versus one game under. It's not as significant as, you know, the Blazers or the Hawks even. But it's still notable because the Wizards look pretty good in their own arena. I just, it feels like things are coming back to earth for Washington. Whether it's happening gradually, which it does seem to be, sometimes you you want something like this to be more abrupt. Like, oh no, the wheels fell off and they lose seven games in a row. It doesn't always go that way. Sometimes there's just these little things that start to, the cracks begin to form. And for the Wizards, they're not that great of a basketball team. They're a team that's been better than the sum of their parts, which is really cool and you know speaks highly of the players and the coaching staff. But at the end of the day, there isn't that firepower. So if things aren't breaking their way, if they're not winning the hustle plays, they're going to lose. Spencer Dinwiddie has been bad. He got off to a pretty quick start, and he's just been a mess ever since. I, where is he at these days? I've... Probably should have looked that up before going on air. He's number 134, so he's fallen almost outside of streamer territory now. Does not need to be started. Does not even really need to be rostered. He's at 134 and falling. No defensive stats to speak of. Field goal percent is a mess. I mean, really no defensive stats. And then you want the assist to be maybe a little higher than five to make up for it, or the scoring, heaven forbid, 13 and a half points. The Wizards' offense is gross. It's happening to Bradley Beal, too. He's in the 80s. Although I do want to pause and come back on Beal in just a second. Quick note on the Raptors' side. Pascal Siakam was kind of the only player that, quote-unquote, survived this very low-scoring, ugly ball game. No real adjustments on the Raptors' side. Everybody's going to be fine. It's good to see Precious Achua shoot 50% once. There's something there, but I don't 
you just you can't dive in because his offense has been so awful. And at some point, OG Ananobi's going to come back. But let's pivot back to Bradley Beal. He's actually one of the players that I wanted to spend a minute or two on and offer you guys this explanation. I tried to put it in some tweets last night. I don't know who the hell's reading Twitter on Sunday night. So we'll do it again here on the podcast. Bradley Beal has been a twice noted by low. And I know the first thing you have to think and say when someone says something insane like that is, what the hell are you talking about? A twice noted by low. I will explain. Bradley Beal was a buy low at the beginning of the year when he got off to a start in roughly the 40s. He was somewhere in like the 45 range. I don't remember the exact number. And the expectation we all had was that he would climb up to somewhere near the turn. Somewhere between 10 and 18, I think. If there was any like fall back there, it wouldn't have been that significant. That buy low probably turns out to be wrong. And Lord knows, I thought it would be a good one. He hasn't been particularly banged up. You know, mostly playing his basketball game so far, 21 of them. His shot has been gross. There's no doubt. There's no way around that. Continues to miss from many places. He was kind of being floated early in the year by shooting like 92, 93% of the foul line. That's now come down to 86 the turnovers at three and a half are way too high, given that offensively it's just it's not translating. Two years ago, he had 3.4 turnovers per game. That was a career high, taking 23 shots a night, including eight and a half of them from downtown. He took eight tur- free throws a game that year, hit 84% of them. Averaged 30.5 points, 6 assists, 1.2 steals, 0.4 blocks. And now this year he's at 3.5 turnovers. Actually, a tenth higher, despite doing significantly less. Free throws shaved in half. You can call that two possessions if you want. And shots down by 3.5. So he's down 5.5 possessions, where he's the main guy. Because assists are about the same as two years ago. He's down 5% at least possessions. And yet the turnovers are up. Steals are down. I can't explain that completely. Shooting percentage is the worst since his third year in the NBA. Actually worse than, uh, no, it's right around the same. 2014, he hasn't been below 45%. He's at 44.9. So he hasn't been below 44.9 since 2015. And he's at 42.8 right now. And everything is a disaster. He's shooting 26% from downtown. 37% are over his career from three-point land and really, like, hasn't been below 35 at any point. Free throws are good, but attempts are way back down. And maybe you blame some of that on what the league has done. I just think there's something amiss. I think there's something wrong in the Wizards' offense that they were able to overcome with, you know, Montrez Harrell, just grinding out buckets early in the year and getting contributions from a bunch of different guys. And you're starting to see that reversion. Which, to me, probably ends up being a good thing for Beal. Because while the team was winning, and everybody was doing a little bit to cover up the fact that Beal wasn't actually playing all that well offensively, everything was cool. 
Beal was bad, but wins were coming. Well, now Beal is worse, and wins have slowed. Wizards 4-6 and six in their last 10 ballgames. They've lost two in a row, and they've just looked slow in this last little stretch. I mean, they're fine. They're still fine overall. They're, they're the five seed at 14-10. and 10. But again, you think about what the, the direction things are trending. They did get a little bit of good news that Thomas Bryant was expected to be back at practice shortly within the next two weeks and then maybe playing within a week or two after that. By the way, do you stash Thomas Bryant? Eh, it's a bit of a log jam up front. He might work his way up to 25 minutes a game, but it's probably going to take a while. You could do it, mostly because the other stash guys have no timetable, and at least we know that Bryant can be pretty good fantasy-wise when he's out there. But he didn't play much defense, and on a team that right now is valuing defense heavily, I don't know how he totally overtakes Gafford or Harrell or some combination of them. Who gets squeezed out at that point? It's too complicated. It's too complicated to squat on Bryant when you don't even know if he's going to have a big enough role. So no, I don't think you need to stash. If you want to, you, you can. I just don't think you need to. But back to the Bradley Beal front. When I say he's a twice by low, I think we've now hit a point where everyone probably agrees that his target value is lower. So we'll go back and we'll go through this sort of chronologically. First thing that happened was he got off to a start in the 40s. He was a buy low because he was drafted around 12. And there was an expectation that he would get back to within probably a half round of that. So he was in the 40s. You could probably spend someone in the 20s and still feel like you were creating a tiny bit a little baby buffer of value. But now I think everybody feels like he's not getting to that upper area, and he's probably not getting to within a half round or even a round of where he was drafted. And so now you've created a new price point on Beal, where, yeah, he's in the 80s right now on a per-game basis. I don't think anybody thinks he's going to stay there because we just did the analysis and everything is down for him across the board, pretty much, with the exception of rebounds and assists, which are kind of the same. Threes down, scoring down, field goal percent down, steals down, blocks down, turnovers worse. This isn't going to stay. But the question now is, and I don't know that I have the, the perfect answer to this question, the question is, what do people believe his target value is now? I don't think people think it's 12 anymore. I don't think people think it's 15 or 18 or even 20. I think that there may be a contingent of folks that believe he's not getting inside the top 40. And that now creates a second buy-low opportunity and arguably a safer one. Because I don't think he's getting into that top 20 either, based on what I've seen from the Wizards' offense and from Beal by himself. If he really is only taking 19.5 to 20 shots per ballgame, he doesn't have the volume to get into the top 15. He has the volume to get near the top 25, 30 to 25 range. So, the new buy low, as we've messed with the knobs on our old-fashioned TV dial here, or radio dial, is if you can go get him for someone in the 40s now, you've created a little bit of buffer. I don't know if that can be done. I think it's important to find out. Nobody on this podcast is going to sell low on Beal, so you guys are not the right audience to try to figure out what someone else might actually sell him for. But if Beal's on a team 
someone in your league that, you know, doesn't listen to a fantasy podcast every day or doesn't spend half their morning making sure they're up to date on fantasy news, they may look at him and think, crap, this guy's just not playing very well. I should go get, you know, a late third, early fourth rounder and cut my losses. By the way, players in that range that you might be able to trade to get Bradley Beal, I don't know if it would... I doubt Cole Anthony would be enough, but maybe. Time Lord, Sabonis, I don't think he's going much higher. Evan Mobley, there's a lot of buzz around that name. Uh, let's see, who else is in that range that might have a little bit of upside built in? Gary Trent Jr., that's ah, probably not going to be enough. Lonzo Ball, Jared Allen, who we just talked about. These are interesting ones. But now we're almost going a little bit too far up the board. So take a look at your rank board, see uh, who's on your team among that group. Devin Booker's an interesting one, because as great as he's been, he's still number 46. He's like the... He's like a worst-case scenario almost for Bradley Beal, although his field goal percent is better. Booker is like what Beal's doing right now, now that Beal has forgotten how to do all the other stuff. Booker's at 23, 5, and 4. Not much defensive stuff. Slightly better field goal percent. 18 and a half, 19 shots a game. So that's like a worst-case scenario to me for Bradley Beal, because that's if the steals and blocks don't come back at all then Beal just becomes that when his field goal percent levels off. But if the other things come back around a little bit, if the threes come back up, if the steals come back up, if the turnovers come back down, then he should push around in front of that. Maybe around 30. Okay, let's keep moving along. But before we do, I do want to mention to you guys our brand new partner, Thrive Fantasy. I'm actually really excited about this one, and I might, I might, Try my hand at it as well, which I know is nuts because Thrive Fantasy is a DFS website, but they do it differently. Thrive Fantasy is actually prop bets in the DFS landscape. So come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. It's an esports app for player props. I want to see if I can walk you guys through this. Our buddies, Mike Apatria and Santino Cocone, Mike, you've heard on this podcast many times over the years. They run our DFS division here at Hoopball, and they'll walk you through getting winners. You don't have to listen to me on that, because I'll probably screw it all up. But I am a pretty good better. So prop bets as DFS, meaning you don't need to know every weird little matchup down the board, like who's the small forward who costs 3600 bucks on DraftKings uh, and has a really good matchup on one weird night, and six guys are out on their team, or whatever it might be. You don't need that. With Thrive, you eliminate those countless hours deep diving the fringe players, and you focus only on the top-tier athletes. There are 20 available player props. You pick 10. Each prop is assigned a value, both for the over or the under, based on how likely either one is to hit. Hit the most props, rack up the most points, and you win a share of the prize pool. Over $50,000 is given, given away every week in NBA pri- uh, contests and prizes. And to date, Thrive has paid out over $6 million in prizes. And yes, of course, you know that if they're partnering with us, they got a deal for you. Use promo code ETHOS. Yes, they managed to use our new name, 
which is a feather in their cap because not everybody has done that so far. Ethos, E-T-H-O-S. When you sign up, there's a place to drop in a promo code and you get a 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks. Download the Thrive Fantasy app on the App Store, on iTunes, or the Play Store, or just visit thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Really excited, by the way. They have a couple other promos, too. If you deposit 10 bucks, you get two free $20 NBA tickets. If you deposit $100, you get four free $20 NBA tickets. So you can get some more games to play in. There's the deposit match bonus. Uh, there's a $5,000 guaranteed contest nightly with that for that $20 entry ticket, so you can use it on that. I hope you guys do check it out. Um, I believe you'll have a lot of fun. If you enjoy what we talk about on the betting side here at HoopBall, Sports Ethos. If you enjoy what we talk about on the fantasy side, if you follow our DFS guys at all, just visit thrivefantasy.com. It means a ton to us as we build out a brand new partnership. All right, let's move a little bit quicker through the rest of the box scores from Sunday. There were only two other games, although I can't, I can't do that fast on Charlotte. Charlotte's got half their team in COVID protocols right now, so this is the where is all the leftover stuff going. Miles Bridges, monster game. Cody Martin, monster game off the bench. I think Cody's a really nice fill-in option until everybody comes back. Kelly Oubre is a really nice fill-in option. He missed all four of his free throws, but you can't... There's no way that's happening every time. And then the one to me that kind of hangs on the edge... By the way, P.J. Washington should have been picked up and started weeks ago because Mason Plumlee's been out for a while. So Martin's a go, Oubre's a go. Ish Smith is the one that I'm a little bit on the fence with. I know he had a really good game yesterday, but we've seen Ish a million times in these exact fill-in spots over the years, and it never quite goes the way we want it to. Like, look at what he's done so far this year. 14 minutes a game, 5 points, 2.5 assists, half a steal. There just... There hasn't really been a moment during his career where all the pieces have come together. And I want to point out one very important word. Percentages. Ish Smith is a god-awful shooter, a bad free-throw shooter, and an even worse three-point shooter. Because, for one, he doesn't take them. He's a 43% shooter from the field, 32 from three, 68% at the free-throw line. That's troubling. His steals are decent. Steals are fine. Assists are fine. He'll have a few of those at during this fill-in run. But he doesn't score very much. And even if you go all the way back to a season where Ish was basically a starter during his time on the floor, that was with Philadelphia in 2015-16. He averaged 15 points, 7 assists, and 1.3 steals per ballgame. That was a fantasy-relevant season. And you could argue that maybe... That type of thing could be uh, replicatable now. But even then, you're talking about something that drops him more in like the 90 range. That to me is a best case scenario because again, bad field goal percent, bad free throw percent. No three-pointers. He hit two of them yesterday. He never does that. So it's really important that you guys look at the body of work. Ish Smith who, look, he's a, he's a perfectly capable backup point guard, had made one three-pointer this season prior to yesterday's ballgame. He was one for two on the year, and yesterday he went two for four. 
So please do not buy into what you're seeing there. If you need steals and assists, fine. Head-to-head, you can sort of take a deep gulp and swallow the bad field goal and free throw percent and hope they don't weigh too heavily on your upcoming week. But Roto, the bad will outweigh the good. Most of the time. You catch lightning in a bottle, a week where he just doesn't take a free throw, cool. Or maybe he's, like, warm for two or three games. Uh, the first, if he's filling in for six games here or however many uh, Lamella ball and half the team has to miss, maybe he's just warm for the first two or three of them, and so he doesn't crush your week. I'm just not willing to roll the dice on that when the other options, Ubre and Martin, are so easy. Ish is a coin flip. I could be wrong, but those 50-50 ones, I generally don't like to drop them into a, a games cap league. On the Atlanta side, everybody's out on that team too, all of the wings. Remember how t- the wings were so logjammed at the beginning of the year, we said, I would probably just don't want to deal with any of them. And now all of a sudden, they're all hurt. So Kevin Herter, massive runway. And Danilo Gallinari, pretty good size runway. Both of those guys, I think, are startable in basically any format right now. New Orleans, uh, lost in Houston, and right now it's it's Brandon Ingram, Jonas Valanciunas, and if Josh Hart can get back, he would be the third guy. Nobody else on that team is usable at the moment. Devontae Graham, you probably keep on your bench. I don't know that you drop him necessarily, but you could. I don't think it would really hurt you that much. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, he's been a drop for a while. Yeah, there's just nothing fun there. And then with Houston, things have turned pretty fun. Although in this one, they went back to a slightly larger lineup. Daniel Tice got the start at center against JV. I don't think they wanted Wood having to deal with Valanchunas. Christian slipped back down to power forward, so his rebounds did take a little bit of a hit. Garrison Matthews, terrific streamer right now. Eric Gordon keeps screaming at us to pick him up and start him, and I just can't bring myself to do it. And I know that that's sort of a vindictive way to play fantasy because lately Eric Gordon's actually been pretty decent last week he's averaging 16 and a half points and four assists but the, the turnovers are too high he doesn't get defensive stats he's on a heater when that wears off he'll be a complete mess for your fantasy team so just don't do it please don't do it don't do the Eric Gordon thing go the Garrison Matthews route if you need a fill-in play Jay Sean Tate does belong back on teams we talked about that after his Leading up to his big ball game, he had sort of pivoted back in the right direction. Uh, I thought the most interesting thing, actually, out of this game, in addition to Houston going from a 15-game losing streak to a 5- or 6-game win streak now, is that it does seem like the game is slowing down a little bit for Alper and Shengun, who had 10-4 and with an assist, a steal, and a block. Had five fouls, so it's not quite slow enough yet, but you know, starting to make his free throws, starting to make better decisions, the turnovers are a little bit better. If you get that slow and steady growth, you might see a scenario where in maybe before the trade deadline, he starts to see more like 21 minutes a game. But it's never going to hit that mark. It's not going to hit that big number until later in the year. I, I just I like the fact that you're starting to see hints of what could be. He's inside the top 200 now, which I know setting a low bar. And if you're trying to win... Your weekly matchups right now, he's not helping. Uh, But he's getting closer. And that's something. That's growth. Not a growth. Denver at New York. We turn the clock back to Saturday. Uh, The Nuggets beat the Knicks in the weird early game. Knicks were half asleep for this one, and pretty much the entire roster is guilty of it. 
Uh, Julius Randle is kind of the only one who wasn't. I'm sticking with where I was before, which is that I did say Emmanuel quickly was my guy that I was not going for. I got yelled at a little bit for that take. People said, no, quickly's going to do it. I said, nope. He doesn't have the right fantasy profile. Derek Rose was meh. Kind of saved things by not shooting the ball poorly. That's meh. Uh, Evan Fournier has taken a little step forward. I think he's a guy, we talked about him probably belonging on teams, on benches. You could probably start him. You could probably upgrade him from a bench to a start. And then Alec Burks is is certainly an easy one. He's a go. On the Denver side, Zeke Naji, 21-8 and eight and two steals in 34 minutes. I don't believe we're going to see that on a nightly basis. This was a game where Denver opened up a big lead, ran their reserves a bunch, and didn't need to bring the starters back. So don't read too much into it all. For Najee, he did a bunch of his damage pre-garbage time. We got to give credit where credit's due there. Probably not going to happen again, but it wasn't all at the end. Chicago beat Brooklyn in a good ball game. This was kind of what we were wondering. The Nets were slipping by not great teams on just sheer offensive ability, mostly of Kevin Durant. And you wonder what would happen when they had to deal with a team that also had some solid offensive players. They just couldn't quite get over the hump here. Chicago did lose Alex Caruso this game eight minutes in with a hamstring pull. No one really looked great in his absence, although Derek Jones Jr. had four blocks in his ultra-low usage 33 minutes. He's a possible stream if Caruso has to miss any time. Does seem like he would kind of be the next man up. I don't know that we can count on him to block four shots every ball game. He'll be a good field goal percent, bad free throw percent guy who might slip you a three-pointer, probably will get you a steal. It's a stretch, though. It's a stretch. On the Brooklyn side, DeAndre Bembry seemed like he was kind of winning the power forward job. Bruce Brown came back with 12 rebounds in 26 minutes here, and that became a timeshare for a game. We don't know if that's going to continue to be a timeshare, But it is a reason to say, I don't know that I can start either of those guys until we know how it's actually going on a night-to-night basis. Whereas at least with Patty Mills, who didn't have that great of a ball game, he got his 34 minutes and took his myriad three-pointers from that shooting guard spot. He did what we expected him to do and probably will continue to until Joe Harris comes back. Miami might be getting Jimmy Butler back tonight. That would certainly help them because they've been quite bad without Butler and Bam Adebayo. No surprise there. They lost their two best players, so they're losing basketball games. Uh, The good news department in Miami is that Dwayne Dedman actually looks like a relatively competent fill-in center. I don't know if he just got some juice now that he's he's got a job to do, but 13 rebounds a couple of times here in the last few days. That uh, low or that high floor, low ceiling profile still very much holds. I also kind of wonder if Jimmy Butler being back doesn't end up helping Deadman. It might hurt his rebounds a tiny bit, but just in terms of getting looks, whoever they've got going right now, and I know Kyle Lowry's the main facilitator, but Lowry and Hero, those are not the guys that can dominate a starting unit. I never took the plunge on Caleb Martin. I didn't take the plunge on Max Struss. These guys are good. Gabe Vincent, same kind of thing. I was just kind of like, look, Jimmy's going to be back soon. This is the 50-50 type stuff. Could they be good on a nightly basis? Yeah, but I didn't know for sure, and I'm not going to play a guy if I don't feel really confident in what's to come. Meanwhile, Bobby Portis, his outlook got great when Brooke Lopez went under the knife last week. 
Brolo getting back surgery. Portis is just going to steamroll forever. Dante DiVincenzo apparently is inching closer. We had already punted on Grayson Allen, who missed this ballgame. That'll completely obliterate Allen. I do wonder what Pat Connaughton looks like after DiVincenzo comes back. He's been pretty good lately. Got a starting gig in this ballgame, but he's been coming off the bench and firing away. Pretty good streamer right now. And I think you just sort of feel that out as it comes up. This is without Giannis, by the way. They're just thumping fools. Miami beat Dallas. No surprise there. Or, excuse me, Memphis beat Dallas. Sorry, Grizzlies fans. Dallas did not have Luka Doncic. Dallas did not have Kristaps Porzingis for this ballgame. So they were going to be in a bit of a tight spot. Figured Jalen Brunson would have a better ball game. He missed a ton of shots, however. That'll hold him down. He'll be great pretty much any time Luka's out, so don't worry too much about it. And then Maxi Kleba, he's a start generally when Porzingis is out. Well, it sounds like Porzingis is expected to play in Dallas's next ball game. Luka's questionable. On the Memphis side, DeAnthony Melton missed a bunch of free throws and turned it over six times, but he did have four steals and two blocks and two three-pointers in 26 minutes. This was a better performance. This is more like what we thought we'd get from him, minus the bad free-throw shooting. Jaron Jackson Jr. slowed down. He was on a vicious run prior to coming into this ballgame. But you know who didn't slow down, besides Desmond Bain, who's been great pretty much all year? Tyus Jones, 16 points, 6 boards, 7 assists, 2 steals. He is what we all picture Ish Smith doing. He's Ish Smith, but with better free throw and field goal percent. Those guys don't hit three-pointers. Jones doesn't do it either. They both rebound a little bit from a point guard spot, better than you'd expect, but not much. They both pass well. They're going to get assists. They're going to get steals. But where Ish can't get over the hump, shooting and free throws, Jones can. That's why he's been a really nice fill-in so far, and I think you can just kind of keep trotting him out there. And it's why when Jaw went down, I said, look, I'm picking up Jones and Melton. I think this does enough for both of them. And so far, it basically has, although DeAnthony, with the weird turnovers and free throws, you wouldn't see it in the overall ranking but you can see it in the box score. You can see it in what he does for the team when he's on the floor. Spurs beat the Warriors 112-107. We actually had a bet on the Spurs in this game, so that went nicely. Warriors were in severe letdown mode after the couple of games with Phoenix earlier last week. Derek White, here he comes, man. He's been on the pickup for some time now. We called him one of the easiest buy lows when he was ranked like 131. You know where he's at now? 64. I said something ballsy and stupid before the year. I said Derek White might even outperform DeJounte Murray. That's dumb because DeJounte's been amazing also. But Derek White is now catching up. In fact, over the last two weeks, White's been better. He's number 14 over that stretch. Full season, yeah, DeJounte's clubbing him. He's number 12. Uh, But now we're starting to get to the point where both guys are about to start beating their ADPs but only one of them did we have an opportunity to buy low on. That's all I care about on the Spurs side. I know Lonnie Walker had a better shooting game, but we don't care. Doug McDermott was fine. We don't care. Meh. Big fat meh. Warriors, they're also kind of a big fat meh. Jordan Poole continues to hang on to value. Klay Thompson getting closer, though. Andrew Wiggins continues to bounce between sometimes having value and sometimes not. He's kind of in streamer town. And maybe it's because of Poole and Damian Lee. I don't know, but uh, he just doesn't have to do as much this year, and it's been blah. 
Clippers in Sacramento. Paul George is out of gas, and that's not a great look six weeks into the season. We kind of knew this was going to happen. They got to get his minutes down. I don't know where the help is going to come from, though, if Reggie Jackson keeps missing all of his shots. Clippers are in a weird spot. You know, they're 12 and 12, which is fine. You know, half the Western Conference is at 500 right now. But they're 12 and 12 and kind of going the wrong way. 9 and 7 at home, 3 and 5 on the road. Most of their games have been home games, 16 out of their 24. So the Clippers got to find a way. Someone's got to get cooking on that team. Zubats was a little better here. He played 29 minutes. That's a good sign. He's been one we've been just kind of hanging on to, waiting to find out who's going to soak up those front court minutes. They went to the big lineup again. Marcus Morris, big game out of the small forward spot. Serge Ibaka, crap out of the power forward spot. Marcus Morris, hanging on, but not a nine-category ad. Sorry, I know he had a big ball game here. I don't care. Luke Kennard has had a couple good games. Don't care. Where we've been looking for the Clippers is, can Reggie Jackson figure out a way to fix his shooting? And the answer so far has been a heavy-handed no. And his free throw percentage has fallen. So he's barely rosterable after this slump the team's been in. Paul George has really fallen off after a quick start. He's now number 18, which, again, not like it's a bad marker, but dude was number 5 to start the year. And he's been trending down. Seemingly fatigue-related. But you know who this all benefits? You guys already know who I'm going to say. Nick Batum, who's out of quarantine and practicing again. And if he got dropped in your league, you should add him. He was a top 40 fantasy player before his Achilles acted up and before he went into COVID protocols. I would beg of you guys to go back and look at the Batum game log pre Achilles flare-up. And I think we can argue the Achilles thing probably started happening around November 11th when he played 37 minutes and only took four shots. That was his second lowest shooting total of the year after one of his first two games coming back when his minutes were sort of artificially depressed by conditioning. And in that game, he still had two steals and three blocks. But in the next one, he only played 19 minutes. He He came out because of the Achilles. He tried to play a full game his next time out. Uh, only at 5.7 boards, a steal, and a block. Then played 14 minutes a game after that, and, and then they sort of pulled the plug. He came back after missing one game, had 12-3 and three with a steal, and then got COVID. But if you look at the games before all that stuff started flaring up, 14-8, and eight, two steals, a block, four three-pointers. 20-5, and five, six three-pointers. 12-8, and eight, an assist, a steal, two threes. 16-6, and six, three steals, one block, four three-pointers. He was cooking. They need him. And also, arguably the most important part of all of this is that once Batum kind of got healthy and was inserted into the lineup, the Clippers' record went like this. Loss, loss, win, 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 win. There was actually another win, even when he was starting to fall apart a little bit. And they lost to Chicago, beat San Antonio. They're just a better team when he's on the floor. So if we're worried about Batum getting his minutes back, I don't think we need to, because they've been pretty damn bad since he went down. Clippers won the first game without him. They went win-loss, win, loss, 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 win-loss. That last win, remember, was over the Lakers, where they hit every three-pointer late in the game, including a wild bank shot, or it almost could have been another loss. They've been bad without Batum. 
But he's going to play. He's going to play a bunch. And he's wildly underrated in nine-category leagues. Wildly. I held on to him in all but one place where I just, there was no point. I didn't, I couldn't take zeros. I held on to him in every other spot I had him. And I would happily add him back now in pretty much any nine-category league. He was fantastic before he went down. And the fact that the Clippers stink now without him and need him back, that's a great sign. For Sacramento, it sounds like Harrison Barnes is very close. Tyrese Halliburton is sick with a non-COVID illness. We don't know if that's going to knock him out for a bit. Terrence Davis, another big one, double heaters. He might end up keeping that job. They may punt Metu to the bench when Barnes comes back, and it starts to make me think, are we being too conservative with Terrence Davis? Could he become a guy who came in as a fill-in and then they thought, well, you know what, let's just keep him out there because he's lately like a better version of Buddy Heald. So I'm going to go ahead and just say, throw him at the end of your bench because there is a chance that even after Bagley comes back and Barnes comes back and Harkless comes back, Alvin Gentry's in there now. He's going to want to run, space the floor, get some shots up, have some fun, and Terrence Davis fits that role better than Metu or Harkless. Certainly better than Bagley. Now, the problem with Terrence Davis is that he doesn't generally do a whole lot of other stuff besides bomb away from three-point land. His rebounding is not terrific. He doesn't pass very much. He'll walk into a steal every so often. But it's mostly, are the threes dropping? And if they're not, heaven help us, it could be a long night. But I do think... You've got to throw him on your radar at the very least at this point. He's done it twice, and there's a universe where he just jacks the minutes. I mean, Buddy Heald only played 20 minutes in this game, and they won. They don't have to play Heald. They've been trying to trade him for two seasons. What's the impetus? Boston beat Portland in an ugly one. Blazers are a mess right now, but we do need to break this game down. And we will do so after I tell you about our other not new, but retread sponsor. Our buddies over at ExpressVPN are back for a second go-round. I'm really happy that they are because many of you guys expressed interest in getting the deal we had last time. Well, guess what? It's up again. And they didn't change the coupon code. <laughs> the website is still expressvpn.com slash hoopball. And if you sign up through that link, you get an extra three months on your year-long plan. It's exclusive for Sports Ethos listeners. But again, it's the old website code, HoopBall, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. Go to expressvpn.com slash HoopBall, and then you don't even need to enter a code because by going through that specialty link, the code will be entered automatically. So you'll get 15 months of VPN service for the price of 12 and hell, you've given enough to your damn ISP this year. It's time for you to start taking back. Take back your internet privacy with the VPN rated number one by TechRadar and Mashable. That's TechRadar and Mashable because I can obviously talk. Visit expressvpn.com slash hoopball, remember, and get three extra months of ExpressVPN for free. That is Express V, Victor, P, Paul, and Nancy. ExpressVPN.com. This is particularly useful for League Pass subscribers who are in weird blackout zones 
That's happened to a lot of our listeners. I've talked to a bunch of people that are like, I want to watch my damn home team, but I don't get whatever the cable company is that provides it in that market. It's a big deal in LA. If you don't have Spectrum, you don't get the Laker games. But they're, sometimes there are national games you can't even watch. NBA TV, League Pass games. If you want to watch your home team on League Pass, you can express VPN your way into it. Use a VPN. Mask your location. Take back your internet. You're paying for this stuff. You should get it. It's absolutely ridiculous, the hoops that we have to jump through to watch the damn teams we're paying for. Get 15 months for the price of 12 at expressvpn.com forward slash hoopball now. And welcome back. Love to have them. So on the Boston side, I don't think there's a whole lot we need to talk about. It's the usual fare. Uh, Jalen Brown out. So Dennis Schroeder gets a bump. When anybody's out, Dennis Schroeder gets a bump. That's just the way it's going to go right now. Good to see Jason Tatum starting to get cooking again. He was the easiest buy low wreck in modern basketball history. He's now finally shooting over 40%. His free throw number is starting to trend up. That's at 83 now. Steals and blocks are still down. But his is a walk to where he needs to be. All he needs to do is do what he usually does, and he'll be fine. His field goal percent way down. Steals blocks. Those come back. He's back to being a first-rounder. It's easy. I don't think you can get him for cheap anymore, but Lord knows we could have last week. Portland is the more interesting side because in addition to the fact that they're just a mess right now and everybody is putting up bad fantasy lines with, I guess, the exception of Yusuf Nurkic most games, beyond the drama, because Chauncey Billups keeps calling his his own damn team out in the media. I don't know how many times you could do that before you actually kind of lose your team. There was a rumor this morning that Dame wants to play with Ben Simmons. He's pushing for a trade that might kind of have to happen right now. Philly needs to get rid of Simmons. Portland needs a shakeup. This was always the one we thought might come to pass. It always made the most sense contractually. Blazers have a couple of young guys they could flip in. They've got a pick they could flip in. Simmons needs a change of scenery. I'm sure he'd play the next day after that trade, and he'd have a monster of a role if McCollum went back the other way, he'd be one of the main orchestrators. Take a ton of pressure off of Lillard. I mean, that, that, that's a trade that makes Portland better. They should do it, even if it costs them a little bit in the future, because it also gives them a chance to maybe keep Dame around beyond this year. Right now, it doesn't look like he wants to, which is a tough thing to say. I mean, he's been unbelievably loyal to that franchise while they've been mired in sort of executive mediocrity Neil Olshea gone now, by the way. They, they blamed it on his misconduct, and certainly that is a very large and very serious part of it. But also, look at the stuff he did with that team. I mean, you could pick any number of reasons. But anyway, uh, short term in Portland, with both Lillard and Simons out, Dennis Smith Jr. did end up putting up a nice line. We talked about him a bunch on Friday's game, or Friday's show, as kind of a question mark guy. Is there going to be enough? Are they actually going to play him point guard starters minutes? They did. So now you got to move on it. He's shown the ability to board, assist, steal. His percentages have gotten better from where he was very early in his career. And this to me is a, a you know a week and a half long stream or whatever it's going to be that you kind of want to get on. Because he could go top 60 for a week and a half or two weeks. And that's a thing that moves the ball forward. 
Otherwise, you kind of just have to go with it. Covington's been very up and down. Norman Powell's been very up and down. It just seems like nobody's getting along in Portland. If you wanted to bench everyone besides McCollum and Nurk, I'm okay with that, including Dennis Smith Jr., just because when teams have bad chemistry, it hurts everyone. And that's what's happening in Portland right now. They took Dame out, the general, the leader on the floor, and the whole thing, the ship just went straight under. The plane went straight down. It's like the weirdest thing. There was no autopilot button. Dame was the pilot, and he walked away from the controls, and it was just like, okay, let's just go down. I guess it doesn't really matter what vehicle you're in. You don't generally want to go down. Minus a submarine. I don't think their team is a submarine. That would ruin our metaphor. So yes, pick up Dennis Smith Jr., stream him in the short term. Nurk, you start. McCollum, you start. I'm still starting Norman Powell. He got 28 minutes. I just, man, the chemistry is a mess out there right now. And I do believe there were a couple of teams that didn't play over the weekend. So let's pivot all the way back to Friday and make sure we covered everybody. Indiana is one of those teams. Karis LeVert finally had a better ball game, although they lost, yuck, to the Butler and Bamless Heat. That's just not a loss you can take. TJ McConnell is out for a while. The word was a while, so he's droppable now. You can't deal with that anymore. They just got to be better. Which, of course, does make you wonder about TJ Warren. The worse Indiana looks without him, the more likely they are to let him sort of turn it loose if he ever got back on the court. But we're still looking probably a month and a half on TJ. Probably a, a bit too early to make a move on that. Minnesota played on Friday. That did also not play over the weekend. Cat missed that game. He's dealing with a sore back. He's questionable. We talked about Nas Reed being a guaranteed fill-in, and he had 19-7 and with three threes on a terrific fantasy game. Nothing changes there. If Cat is out, you stream Nas. Bing, bang, boom. The other news on the Minnesota side is that Patrick Beverly has been upgraded to questionable, so he's now potentially getting closer sooner than expected. He's never a quick healer. And I doubt they just throw him back into 31 minutes right out of the shoot. But he was playing pretty well prior to going down. Malik Beasley, who is really just a scorer anyway, is would go back to being not even a scorer when Beverly comes back. And you guys know, I love me some Pat Beverly. He only really makes sense in roto formats because of how many times he gets hurt. But if you look at his games prior to the hamstring injury... It was across the board delightful. 14, 6, and 7, a steal, three blocks, 8, 3, and 7, a steal, two blocks, two threes in that game, 11, 5, and 4. He was doing all of the across the board stuff. And his recent numbers are weighed down by the fact that he hurt his hammy five and a half minutes into a game where he had done nothing. He had one assist in five minutes. So that's artificially depressing his recent performances. I got to think he got dropped in a lot of spots. I advised a drop in a lot of spots. Because I thought he'd miss at least two weeks. And he's been out basically two weeks, I think, tomorrow. Which is remarkable that he's almost back on time. So if he got dropped, particularly in a games cap roto format, go and scoop mid-podcast right now. Do it before I end the show. He's like, between he and Nick Batum, you just cover the across-the-board goodies Probably punting points with those two guys on your team, but damn, you'll be good in the other eight ones. Philly didn't play over the weekend. Um, 
Danny Green has totally taken the small forward job back. I don't know what's about to happen with Matisse Thybul. Because Tobias Harris wasn't even in for this ballgame. And then George Neon got 29 minutes. And Thybul only got 24. I, Thybul was in foul trouble. He did have five. Danny Green also had 5,000 in this game. I... Uh, I think you have to hold a little bit longer on Matisse because he was too damn good, even in 24, 25 minutes prior to people starting to come back. Danny Green is someone you should keep an eye on, although we know how little he likes to shoot when the other guys on the team are healthy. And then, of course, all of this could get upended if this Portland-Philly thing does come to pass. Tyrese Max, you can keep using. Seth Curry, Joel Embiid, obviously those guys are they're the, the simple solutions. And then everything else is complicated. For Orlando, Franz Wagner has moved uh, up a few pegs, and maybe it's because Jalen Suggs is out. Whatever it is, I think he's just on a better run. Rookies go on these up-and-down swings pretty regularly. I mean, there are guys that are 15-year veterans that go on runs like that, but they're just a better team with Cole Anthony around, and he is now taking that next step of actually making his teammates better. So Bamba's a go. Wendell Carter Jr.'s a go. Cole Anthony's a go. Franz Wagner is, to me, like an elite streamer, but he's a go right now because he's been playing well. When streamers are hot, that's when they're a go. I know. Some brain-dead analysis over here. Uh, Phoenix is the only other team, I believe, that didn't play over the week. Uh, Lakers didn't play over the weekend, did they? Huh, a couple of teams, I guess. So Phoenix still without Devin Booker. He'll be back soon. They lost their rematch against the Warriors. I'm not diving in on the Jay Crowder front, even though he probably does get over the cut line with Booker out. This was generally kind of an ugly game, and he was one of the few sons that played okay. I think you just play the same guys as usual with Phoenix, and then Cam Johnson is the, do I want to stream someone badly? Badly enough to go Cam Johnson? Probably not. And for the Lakers, Malik Monk has sort of solidified himself as a stream-level guy, but Dwight Howard is the more interesting player here. He got pushed into the starting lineup, only played 21 minutes against a Clippers team that was mostly going small in this game, trying to spread things out. But look, I mean, Dwight getting 21 to 25 minutes a game is enough for him to get into that sort of 8 and 9 with a block and a half department and if you can weather the free throws, it's a big if, he's useful here in the short term until do they make adjustments to their roster? If, say Trevor Ariza ever gets back or Kendrick Nunn, do they go smaller and make AD play more five? I think they like having Dwight at the five. He can bang more than AD can. And he's willing to move on defense, which we saw DeAndre Jordan, not so much. Woo. I'm tired. We're 50-something minutes into this thing. That is a serious reverse chronological lightning round Monday. Big thank you, as always, to our existing sponsors here on Fantasy NBA Today, our buddies over at mybookie.ag. There were, I think there were more odds boosts happening last week. Something in football hit. I don't remember what the hell it was. I don't know. I count on other people to tell me when they pop up in football, except for those big weekends, like Thanksgiving Day. Oh, that was amazing. Man, can you believe we all won like $350? That was, who was that fun? Anyway, check them out. If you're going to open up an account, make sure to use promo code HOOPBALL. That's another, you know, three of our four promo codes are the old one. And then our buddies at Manscaped.com, HOOPBALL20 is the promo code over there. You get 20% off and free shipping on your holiday presents. 
Of all of our sponsors, that's probably the one that makes sense as a holiday gift. Unless you have that cousin who really doesn't want to be watched. Then you can get him ExpressVPN. <laughs> Four sponsors. What a time. What a time. I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. We'll turn it over to Twitter now, where we'll talk about the upcoming games tonight. And for you premium subs, you know I'm in the Discord on Monday answering your questions on the week ahead and whatever else you might have going on. Have a lovely Monday. You know where we'll be at tomorrow, Tuesday. Back with Adam King. We might be doing a deep mailbag. We might be coming up with something else. You just have to listen to find out. Please do rate and review the pod while you're at it, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. So long, everybody.